Gallo. Our guest today is an extremely talented young lady. She plays piano, French horn, sings, acts, designs clothing, was a competitive swimmer and water polo player, worked in New York City with the woman from Bad Vegan, Sarma Mangalis, and since 2012 has been the creator and driving force of Piano Push Play. She is unbelievably authentic, genuine, and really just likable. I had a great time talking to her. This is my friend, Megan Diana. I I remember their like um their finale was uh um in the garage, but like a 20-minute version of in the garage. And like me and all my friends were like crying by the end because it's like it's that guy we left. You know, it was just really funny. Okay. Wow. It's so interesting hearing my voice. It's kind of weird, right? <laughs> yeah, even though I'm, you know. I record, even though you're kind of used I re- to it. I record things a lot that I'm singing, and usually you can, like, put all your, you know, reverb on, and you just like, oh, I love the way I sound. How long have you been recording your own personal music? <laughs> um, in a, prof- in a you know, like, ad- not adult, but, like, more professional a sense, I would say, like, a decade. I was just talking about this that... Because I played a show last night and I was talking about um, the fact that I'm playing a show tomorrow with my full band, but then also talking about the kickoff that we're having at the end of the month for Piano Push Play and and how it's a whole decade of doing that. And at the same time I was starting that is when I was starting to write music for the first time because I had grown up playing piano and and being like a classical pianist and French horn player and, you know, singing in the choirs and all that stuff that I hadn't ever written songs as myself until I was in my mid twenties. Writing songs is hard. Yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah. And I think I finally went through some things that gave me some, like some real like things to write about. Um, And I, I had gone away from music. I had, I'd gone to New York. I was working in like food and fashion and all these other interests I had. So I like didn't touch a piano. I didn't sing for five years in my 20s um, because I had grown up. I just had never had the impulse to think of myself as a songwriter when I was I was younger. I was like so steeped in this classical place of like you're learning music and you're not, you know, this is like elevated. This is like, you know, like you know, I don't want to say real music. Everything's real music. Okay. But, you know, like I just came from that world. And <clears throat> Did you grow you know, up here? I I did for the most part. I've been here since 97. So I moved here just before eighth grade. My dad was in the army. So we were in Italy and he retired and we moved to Gresham. <laughs> so that was a bit of a leap. What part of Italy? Upper northern Italy in this little town called Vicenza, which is 30 minutes outside of Venice. Yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I've been there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a big army base there. It's wow. like, you know, two hours from Switzerland, the Swiss border. And, you know, we lived in this beautiful little town, Camisano, in the farm country. And we would, you know, go on to base every day for school. And my mom was a theater director on on base. Like, there's a community theater. There's a whole single soldier's um, center for families and people to do things, you know, it's like a big part of 
the community is like having activities and mm -hmm. <laughs> things to keep morale up and all that all that stuff but um yeah that kind of that's how I got into music in the first place my mom was um always uh in a theater okay. doing music musicals and I wanted to be I wanted to be in them so were you bummed when you had to leave Italy yeah yeah we were yeah we had we were hoping we we had already been there for almost four years and we were hoping we could stay but if you were if your family's no longer in the services then you have to you know to, to pay to go to school it's like ten thousand dollars a kid or something to go to a dod school hmm. you know and we hadn't i guess you know we just could have stayed and uh, yeah but you know it's just <clears throat> yeah i have a buddy who had his whole family in um outside of munich germany mm -hmm. and they they were there for a year or two maybe and his kids went to a german school and they were learning german they were getting they're becoming fluent and so they were multi-language mm -hmm. and then yeah the army's like no you gotta go and now he lives in raleigh north carolina mm. yeah i mean we i did we did know some people that had had been there since their kids were little and they decided instead of going to the on base military school, like actually let's like, let's get them, um, you know, <clears throat> totally fluent in this other culture and this other language. And let's just have them go to this Italian school. But we just didn't, we didn't do that. And, you know, my parents had always kind of followed the job. And so my dad got a job here and we. In Gresham, you said? <laughs> I live in Gresham. <laughs> Um, 298th and Powell, so like the end of Gresham, we, he was the Oregon Military Museum Director for five years, which is why we moved here, which okay. is out in Damascus. Mm -hmm. Can't wait to come. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it was kind of always following this, his passions. So when did you start playing piano? When I was a kid. Yeah. <clears throat> when I was a kid, like I said, my mom, you know, was doing Annie or something when I was three or four, and I knew all the words and all this stuff already but um i was she was like you're too young to even be in this production that i'm doing but i'm gonna get you piano lessons and you'll be a better musician you'll be a better singer you you know i don't know if she said this to me at the time but certainly when i was older it was like this is why instead of like throwing you on stage or getting you voice lessons i gave you piano lessons because then you could have more control over whatever you wanted to do as a musician or a singer um because i think she always regretted she couldn't, she could pick things out, but she could never really play piano, even though she was like a musical director and could read music and has always like done like choirs and all this stuff. Um, hmm. <clears throat> so maybe she, yeah, like realized what a good skill it would be if I ever wanted to be in the, in, in music and art, in the arts. Well, to me, it's kind of like another language. It's kind of like learning French yeah. or German or whatever, yeah. but it's cool because it's universal. You can play piano. You can mm -hmm. play piano, or, or sorry, you can play music mm -hmm. and jam with somebody yeah. in Ukraine, mm -hmm. and they know what you're doing, even though you can't can't talk to them. Absolutely, absolutely, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's there's all kinds of things that even if you can speak the same language, like there are things you can't like are so deep or like things you can't express through words that you're like, you know, actually the only way I know how to kind of get something out is like going to my instrument, be it trumpet be it you know piano be it <clears throat> guitar mm -hmm. you know i think that's another reason why people support what i do because they see that people that have things inside them that they can't get out any other way like trauma or joy or you know all, lots of feelings and lots of hardships and and good things go to these pianos and you know even if they can't play 
Bach or whatever, they play something beautiful or heartfelt or like expressive. And you're like, wow, this, you know, this person needed this. The piano <laughs> is an interesting instrument because it it can't be tuned differently or it's not supposed to be tuned differently. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be the same no matter where you go. And that is so crazy because that instrument is the same instrument that Beethoven was playing, mm -hmm. you know, two, 300 years ago. Mm -hmm. All the keys are the same. All the notes are the same. Anybody can play that now. There, there's so many other instruments mm -hmm. that you can slightly adjust or change, but there's 88 keys on the piano mm -hmm. and it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I've always loved, you know, even though I, I write my own music and I'm, I do, I'm a part of a lot of other kinds of music than what I, I did a lot growing up. You know, I still love, and I'm so grateful I have the capacity to read music and I got all those years of lessons and all that stuff because it's like amazing to me if I open up some sheet music that's Beethoven's, I'm like, wow, this is like the truest form of time travel. I can, you know, read what he wrote and, and play it, you know, in the comfort of my own home or like wherever I am. And, you know, that's why I've always loved all that, you know, classical stuff or that, you know, the really, really old, weird, you know, harpsichord music that I'll take out and play on piano that's from like, you know, 1500 mm -hmm. or, you know, organ stuff. And I love that. But when you were a kid, was it a, was it a chore or did you enjoy it? Were you like, oh, oh no, God, I, mean, I got to go practice piano now? No, I, I mean, maybe it, I think in the beginning and, and what I was told was like, they couldn't get me off the piano. Like I would just always be playing it and all that good stuff. I think when I got, you know, into middle school, I had, uh, from what I know now of like all the people I work with and that perform in piano push play and have music schools teach piano these days, like the way they think about teaching piano and music to kids is so different than what I grew up doing, which it was like really strict, really, you know, narrowly focused, you know, hey, you're going to have to play, you're going to have to practice, you know, one hour of scales and exercises before you even get to playing things that you like, you know, and what I know of the people I know that have, you know, music schools now are kind of like, they have this big mix of just trying to make sure the kids are having a good time and like, hey, did you hear a song on the radio you want to learn how to play? Okay, let me, let's, let's sit down and figure out how to, you know, teach yourself how to like listen to something you like that's a pop song, whatever, and figure out how to play it on piano. Okay, then let's also play some classical. Then that's like, let's give you a little bass lesson on like jazz. Like, you know, it's a big mix and and as I got into middle school it was so high stakes also of like recitals like you know the only time I would play for people was at a recital where it's you know just like so buttoned up and it feels like you know if I make one little mistake on a note you know it's a failure mm -hmm. of the you know the day the year whatever and you know I just I, I, you know, I, I've started to really not like it and, and I eventually stopped lessons in, you know, like at the end of middle school and, you know, but I would still go to the library and get all the sheet music and bring it home and like, you know, play at home, like, and play. I've always loved soundtracks, like get, you know, Jurassic Park soundtrack, like John Williams stuff and like. You can play Jurassic Park? Yeah, like the theme song to Jurassic Park. You know, there's sheet music for everything. Yeah, so for it's sure. like, you know, you know, and Schindler's List and, you know, all this like beautiful movie music that I loved. I would, you know, bring home and like play. But, you know, thinking about um I just kind of got out out of and I and I also started to really get into French horn, which is the other instrument that I 
play, you know. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in, in middle school, I took up French horn. Those are completely different instruments. Why did you choose that? Well, I was I had I had been in like middle school band. I was playing clarinet, but I was like last chair out of like 13 kids. I don't know. It was a lot of kids. And I was like, you know, and one day the 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 music director was like, hey, we, you know, we don't have any French horn players. And does anybody want to try it? And um I said yes. And like really quickly I I got really good at French horn somehow. Um I mean, I do think later in life now, like the reason I always was a great singer, like I could sing really loud. I could sing really long. I had, you know, like same with French horn. I could always, you know, I had the breath control and the lung capacity. I, I was always a competitive swimmer my whole life as well. So, you know, the the lungs I had to do all these things, you know, and also I think I was good at French horn because I had had a decade of ear training, you know, I, you know, to be able to recognize Okay, Pl- wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, you you're know, just like you're just throwing in little like I'm a competitive swimmer. Like what? <laughs> what else is going on? We I don't know. We always we were. Uh, you had to do a lot in my family. You know, you had to like do a lot of sports, performing arts, take lessons. How like, could you? How could you become <clears throat> very good at piano and French horn? But you're also swimming. That's a lot. I mean, when I was a kid, I was, I, I mean, I'm so grateful to my parents, but like, you know, I was in like tap, ballet, jazz, just, I was on the swim team. I was also taking piano lessons. Like they, they gave me, you know, every lesson I, I could, I could, I, I asked for, you know, cause I wanted to be a part of everything. You were into it and you wanted to do it. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Um, but you know, I mean, I think, I think a lot of family, I mean, it's, I don't understand how they could afford it now, you know, yeah, that right. I'm thinking of like, you know, life. I think life was different in the 80s, in the early 90s for a two, you know, a two parent family home that both parents always worked. So honestly, it's probably like partly, you know, they needed their kids to be in activities for the full workday. Yeah. Right. Let's is it right. So, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, we were always. Me and my two brothers, you know, we were always doing, um, we were all on swim teams and, you know, they got into, my brothers got into karate and all this other stuff, hmm. blah, blah, blah. My brother was, my older brother's a drummer, my younger brother's a bass player. Nice. So, That's yeah, impressive. They were, yeah. They were always, we were always doing lots. Yeah. Yeah. So you quit doing, you quit taking lessons for mm-hmm. uh, classical piano mm-hmm. because you didn't like the recitals. You got in the French horn because mm-hmm. clarinet wasn't working out. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you you continued playing piano at home and everything, but you were also doing French horn. Yeah, yeah. So I would go to, you know, and I would, yeah, you know, in high school was really doing lots of horn lessons. When I got into college, I was a French horn performance major. I was not a pianist. So I studied French horn and music, you know, theory and all that good stuff ah, for the first year I was in um, college. You Wh- know. Which one do you like more? Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I love them both and I, you know, the, I love being able to have such insight into these very different instruments. You know, the French horn is pretty special because not many people play it. Um, and, uh, you know, there's something special, you know, I, I do my own music, of course, and then there's a couple, a lot of my recording work more so happens with French horn stuff because, in ta- you know, there's not too many French horn players in town. And also, um, 
I occasionally perform with a friend where I, I just sing back up and I play French horn. And it's so, you know, it's actually like a really beautiful thing to be able to just be, you know, supporting somebody else's music and being like a true like I'm just, you know, I'm a player. I'm a I'm a musician serving somebody else's work on occasion with my with my French horn. There's French horn all over my work too, my recorded songs and all that stuff. But um You'll play both you know. parts. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, not not at the same time. I can't. I haven't figured that out yet. Not like, that like good. keyboard and French horn and singing, but yeah, not yeah. Yet. So when did you start singing? I was. I mean, singing was always the thing in the beginning. You know, that was what got me the piano lessons, and and you know, we were always in. Um, you know, occasionally I'd be in productions of my mom's. You know, of like you know, Fiddler on the Roof and. Um, I don't know, like our, all these little musicals where they needed a kid. Um, I'd, I'd be in those singing in the background. When I got into high school, you know, I was like in choir. I was I was in the – when we moved to Portland, I was in the Portland Symphonic Girl Choir, which is this like fancy my, – my dad always called it Ching Ching Choir because it was always like, we need more money. We need more money for new, you know, uniforms and this and that. But it was like this 100-girl like classical – it's like the top 10, one of the top 10 like kids choirs in the U.S., but – you know, this like very formal, again, formal, old school, classical um, choir, choir thing. You know, I was, I was, I was into music. Uh, that was, I always wanted to be doing something musical. I yeah. just, you know, it was like, you know, when you're, when you're young, that's how I think parents kind of try and help you find what you want to do. Oh, she wants to sing. Okay, let's find a choir that she could join or like audition for or something. And you know, oh, she wants to sing. Like, I kind of have some insight. Maybe I'll I'll give piano lessons and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know. But in high school, it was like again, like being in the musical, being in the jazz choir, being in the regular choir, like being in band. Like I was, I was doing all those things. Just so like... many activities with three kids. <laughs> I have three kids, and they all play soccer at the same time, and that's that's a lot in itself. I can't imagine doing multiple instruments and multiple uh, sports and everything mm -hmm. simultaneously. Yeah. And they yeah. both had full-time jobs. Yes. Yeah. My parents both always worked. They had three kids under five. Wow. <laughs> At some point, my mom, yeah. My, I mean, when I, she's kind of stopped doing it, but in my 20s, when I would say something about like, oh my God, like life is like so much, my mom would be like, when I was your age. <laughs> I had three kids, a full-time job, and I, and I was in master school. Like, she was, like, intense. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the apple doesn't far, far, fall far from the tree, like, in, in terms of, like, being driven and, like, you know, focused on pro being productive. Mm -hmm. Although I'm trying to get a way of thinking my uh, for my life about, like, you know, that, you know, days are only successful if you're, like, being, like, you're just, like, you know, crossing everything off your list, you know, instead of just like enjoying it's pretty different easy. paces. It's pretty easy to get in that mode. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise you feel like, what did I do today? Yeah. What, what was the point of today? Yeah. But also the older you get, the more you realize that there's a lot of days you don't get shit done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I think that's what they wanted. <laughs> I think they wanted, yeah, to, to, I think that's how they viewed giving their kids everything they could. Yeah. Like, 
you know, if we were interested in something, they were going to find a way to like get us involved in it. And yeah. That's, you know, a beautiful thing I'm always grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still like, I don't know how, I, I still don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it, but they did. It sounds like they did a good job. <laughs> yeah. They did a good job. Yeah. Okay. So you're in, you're in junior high and you're mm. doing piano, <laughs> you're doing French horn, you're swimming. You've got brothers that are playing instruments. Everybody's doing all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. You make it to high school mm -hmm. and you're singing all this time. You're performing in plays, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Yes. Yes. What did What did you decide? How did you decide what was going to happen next? What I mean, mm. what was the next step? Did you know that you wanted to pursue music as a career? I thought I wanted to go to NYU. I had a big dream about making it into NYU. And I auditioned for the musical theater program, and I did not get in. And um, I thought, okay, I'll, um, you know, this is, of course, at the end of high school, I'll go to Portland State, and I'll study hard, you know, I'll work on my voice, and I'll work on these things. And, like, also, like, to let you know, I mean, they take, like, 12 people a year, so it's not, you know, it's Yeah, it's NYU crazy. is tough. NYU is tough, but I had – my father – this family is from Connecticut, and I always we always grew up going to Connecticut and then going into New York and seeing shows, seeing musicals. That's where my parents met on the East Coast, right? So I, I've always loved New York. I've always, you know, I had this dream about going there and being a part of of, of theater and, and musical theater and stuff like that, um, which, you know, is not really my bag anymore, <laughs> What which so it's it's fine. But, um, you know, I thought in 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 high school, I was, I was really hoping I would get into, you know, we, you know, we even like went and visited the school and all this stuff. <clears throat> we visited NYU and Oberlin College, which is a big musical school in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. And I remember being like, I absolutely don't want to go here because this is just like in cornfields. Because it's in Ohio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go to Portland State and I'll, I'll study study my voice and work hard and re-audition, which didn't end up happening, you know. I was studying French horn and I was also, um, I was playing a lot of piano and all that good stuff. I, I was just taking classes and things I was interested in. And I was a music major, but at the end of, you know, at the end of the first year, I kind of uh, fell in love with somebody. <laughs> Uh -oh. Um, yeah. And, and so the plans to like go to New York kind of like shifted and I was like, I'll just, I'll stay in Portland. I'll go to PSU and, um, this feels really good. And, you know, we, and we, and I, a couple years into going to school at, at Portland state, I actually dropped my music major and I was just, I was taking lots of theater. I was just doing like lots of stuff that I felt like taking and honestly that really did worry my parents because you know boys every time i know um but also you know they were like you're 20 what you're 20 you're 20 you should know what you you know they were very uncomfortable that i just didn't have a major which to me now is like who the fuck cares yeah um and also i don't think anybody i think you either are you know, a person that has always known what they want and they can really pursue that 
and some people do, a very small, small amount, I think, sometimes do that. I know a few people that are very self-aware and just have always had one thing they wanted to do and they've pursued it. And then the majority, <laughs> you know, it's a big, long, meandering path. Things happen and things change and you meet people. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah, I don't understand. Not that it doesn't happen and not that they haven't figured it out, but I don't understand yeah. how anybody could just know exactly what they want to do 100% all the time. So, and as like a child, because to me, thinking about a t being a 20-year-old, like I view that as still being very much a child. <laughs> well, not when you're 20, but when you're older, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yes. When you're you know, 20, you think you're grown up and everybody should listen to you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, I just, <laughs> I thought, there, there were also always things that I had loved and I was interested in even beyond music, you know, that, that in a lot of ways intersected with thinking about, you know, being in, in, in theater or performance, right. Where it's like, you're thinking about how to tell stories, you know, not just only as the person on stage, but oh, I'm thinking about set and design and I'm thinking about costumes and this and that, you know. So I'd always been interested, <laughs> I'd always been interested in fashion. I'd always been collecting antique clothing and all this different stuff. So for a while I, I um, was really thinking maybe I'll be a costume designer because somehow that's... It's all intermingled. Yeah, yeah. it's all intermingled and, you know, I in my family, not only my my father, but my my grandma and all these things, every everybody was, you know, a historian and an antique dealer collector. And um, you know, I'm I'm in, always interested in the history behind things. And so clothing and like, you know, the 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 way that clothing changes with time historically, and also, you know, I had always had it as this expression of who I am, you know, yeah. and in high school, I was like obsessed and I, you know, every day of senior year, I wore a different vintage, like 1940s, 50s dress and like <laughs> had these things, you know, like just full on, you know, in San Barlow High School, like Cal Pi High, 302nd Lusted Road, I was there every day wearing like this, you know, vintage stuff and, um, so I actually took I, – I left Portland State and I went to the Art Institute and got a apparel design degree. Um, and <laughs> in the end, I – Were you uh, still with the boy? I was still with the boy. Yeah, I was still with the boy. I, You know, it was – the art institute's just down the street, <laughs> but um, it's it these these it's just these long meandering um stories. I went there and and then I kind of realized that that particular school wanted to um develop designers that were going to work at Nike or something and yeah. be on the computer and just basically be giving you know maybe there was one person in a um one person in that particular office that actually got to be creative while everybody else was just sending in like, here's the three different colorways on those running shorts, yeah. you know, like not actually being creative or, you know, a designer, a creative, a, all these things. And yeah, I, it seems like everything that you're doing is centered around creativity and kind of doing your own thing. And that doesn't sound like the path that you were meant to go down. I mean, maybe, you're into designing um, 
costumes mm -hmm. for plays and everything. But like you said, not being a Nike employee and having to churn out this yeah. ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Well, the other thing is I um, remember at Portland State, and again, another way, another thing that I know now has totally changed the way these programs view what you can do with a music degree or if you even need to need it to work in the industry these days. But as a music major in 2002, um, they were saying, oh, these are the three basic things you could do with a music degree. You could be an orchestra player. You could be a jazz musician. You could be a music teacher. And I hadn't at that point ever done anything but like classical with my French horn. I also knew I just like, I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be a music teacher. You know, I wanted to play music. I wanted to make music. Um, and then, you know, the 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 uh, the the first thing, you know, was always like I I knew realistically that I was I was good at the French horn and I won <laughs> I won a lot of competitions in high school. But, you know, to be in an orchestra, you needed to be totally de devoted. You needed to be practicing this instrument four or five, six hours a day. Yeah. And you should have been doing that for years, even getting into college. Um, and I knew that, you know, I was always, I was still playing piano and singing and, and playing French horn and collecting clothes, it, all these things. I was, you know, I, I knew at the time I was like, that, that would be a dream world, but, you know, and, and, and something that I loved to do, I was still, you know, in the college orchestra and band and playing that kind of music and repertoire, but you know, to truly think about like trying to audition to be in a orchestra. I was like, I, I've never been that singularly devoted to this instrument in the way you need to be to pursue that path. Seems like a lot of pressure too. If, yeah. Yeah. If, if you were an orchestra player for some show on Broadway. Oh my God. That seems insane. <laughs> yeah. Playing the same thing for probably, you know, five years every night, um, yeah. which some of those people, you know, they, well, they do that and that's what gives them a living. And then they, you know, probably play their instrument in a lot of different ways during the day, record, <laughs> yeah, um, all kinds of stuff. I also know though, that today, if you go into school for a music degree and, you know, they have, there's so many more ways you can be in music even only you know 20 years later you know there's there's a lot more mediums that need music and scoring and composing and i had i remember as a high school student i saw this um documentary that was interviewing mark mothersbaugh who from devo who who scored all the wes anderson films right and rugrats and rugrats of course you know him and his brother are both very like inc incredible um, musical composers and just quirky human beings that are, I love. And there's this interview with him. I think it's on like the extended DVD version of um, the Royal Tenenbaums. And, you know, he it shows his studio in, in LA, which is like this lime green circular building that's just like filled with synths and all this stuff. And like he's in there like holding a pug the whole time, just like talking about, you know, his process and stuff. And I remember thinking in high school when I saw it, I was like, wow, I actually, I would love to be his intern or something. But I, you know, now in my life, if I see somebody that's working in whatever way I find incredibly inspiring and I'm like, why, why don't I just reach out and see what happens? You know, I, I didn't do that then in high school. I wish I had, but yeah. I wasn't kind of self-actualized enough in the way that I am now where it's like, 
I see somebody I want to work with, I'll reach out. I'll, I'll find a way to get in touch. You know, there was also ways, you know, there's so many more ways to get in touch with people now than there was in 1999, 2000. But, you know, I, I just, um, I had these inklings about the way I wanted to be in music, but I didn't know how to really pursue them yet, if that makes sense. When I was in, you know, getting into college and I, I was still in music, but I wasn't so you're, figuring you're, out ways to. You were trying to figure out what you're going to do and, and yeah, all, in the, life. <laughs> all the, all the pathways didn't quite seem like yeah. they were the right thing. Mm -hmm. So you never reached out to Mark Mother's no. Ball? No. no, but maybe I should now. 20 years later because now I've like scored films and done commercials and done you know done the stuff that I saw him doing and was like I could do that you know and I had in band camp and like orchestra camp you know written a few little things and thought about you know scoring little commercials and little music videos and I had done little things like that but I just hadn't really said, absolutely, this is what I want to do. So is that how your brain works? Do you see stuff? You see commercials and you see theme songs for TV shows and you think about how you would have done it better? I don't think about how, how I would do it. But I mean, I see people's work that's beautiful and I'm like, I want to I want to work on their next film or something like that, mm -hmm. you know? If it's somebody I admire, especially a filmmaker, usually, I mean, if they've got good taste in their visuals, they probably have good taste in who they were just working with and, you know, but I'm like, oh, maybe they'll consider me. Yeah. Who, who is it that always uses Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead? Oh, Paul um, Thomas Anderson. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I loved that interview with him on Fresh Air recently where he's talking about, and, and Mark Marin, he was talking about his, his growing up and his process and like his music teacher. When Johnny he was a kid. Greenwood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah who was like really instrumental and was like, oh, get out your instruments. Okay, try and make a sound on them that you've never heard before. You know, play them completely different, not just like, give me an A. Yeah. Play that violin and I want to hear something I've never heard before. You know, just really these teachers that, that make these impacts on people. That's cool. And turn their brain, they flip it, you know, into yeah. something new. Well, you, I mean, you kind of have to go that direction because it feels like a lot of stuff has been done. You have to give mm -hmm. kids that that's that's the awesome thing about being a kid or anybody under like 25 mm -hmm. is it seems like that's when your brain is the most willing to try crazy shit because mm -hmm. you do stuff for long enough and you just get in a rhythm and you get in a pattern and then you're kind of afraid to to push against it. Mm -hmm. But kids, kids don't know any better. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's. They're sponges in a way. They're also, you know, they're they can be so resilient and so hopefully nothing bad's happened, you know. So they're just, yeah, they're ready to keep keep just, you know, they're they're free to express themselves mm -hmm. and you know, try all the things they want. And yeah. hopefully, you know, they have support and, you know, access to, you know, kind of a little bit of funds to like make help them help them do the things they want to try. Mm -hmm. I hope, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you <laughs> recap. I know. There's you... like been a lot. <laughs> so you, you wanted to go to NYU, you went mm -hmm. to PSU instead, and then you left PSU to go to the mm -hmm. Art Institute mm -hmm. to what was the program at the Art Institute? Was it specific on clothing? Yeah, it was a, it was apparel design. So it okay. was like, you know, t taking draping and taking pattern making and Did you make your own clothes? So I, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I made my own clothes. You know, we we had illustration classes. We had drafting classes. So, you know, you're like printing out, you know, um, the pattern that you created for something you had done from drawing to draping to making the pattern to like printing it out on a CAD machine, you know, so that other people could make it, all this different stuff. It was just, it was just also like, you know, now I'm like, oh, actually I never wanted to make my own clothing. I always wanted to style like things I had found and like, you know, be, you know, which is, there's a job out there. It's called, is there's a stylist, you know? And now I'm like, as a performer, I'm like, oh, all the, all the you know, the love I have for like creating a story visually is 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 used when I do photo shoots and I do get on stage and you know all that good stuff. You're very well rounded. You have bits and pieces from all these different mm-hmm. realms that you can kind of put together as one thing. Yeah, which you know it's kind of like as I get even older, um, I'm like all these things were meant to be. All these all these detours and and. And time learning all these different skills. And also, you know, um, yeah, I, I still, sw- you know, swim almost every day. I still do all these things that make me feel like me. And, um, you know, make sure that, you know, I, I, when I get on stage, I feel great so that I, all I have to do is, you know, express um, my my songs, myself, you know. Um, yeah, if that makes, if that makes sense. Well, what happened after college? What happened after college? I went to New York because the other thing that I'm interested in, <laughs> so I've been a vegan since t- 2002 when I went to college. So it's 20 years coming up on 20 years and a big, um, fad in veganism in 2007 and eight was raw food. If anybody's watched uh, Netflix's Bad Vegan. Bad Vegan, yeah. I worked, I went to New York. You beca- worked for her? Yes, I was uh, head of daily dessert production at Pure Food Holy and Wine. Holy shit. In 2009 and 10. I, um, the first time I ever reached out to somebody over the internet, it was because I I saw, I was following Sarma on Twitter and I said, you know, I saw that she was looking for an assistant and in New York. This is 2008. I had graduated from AI, our institute. I had actually gone back to Portland State because I was really close to the degree there. So I went back to Portland State for a year, finished that degree I had started. I got an arts and letters degree in music and theater. And um, me and the, me and the boy, me and the guy that I was dating, still, you know, we had both gotten into raw food. Because it was this thing, it was this thing in the vegan community at the time, um, which you know I'm not, I'm no longer I'm no longer I don't I no longer think that it's bad if you eat cook food, which is like ridiculous to me that I, we ever kind of thought this. But so that was the point of her restaurant is that it was all uncooked. I watched the documentary, but I don't remember that part of it. That was it was a totally raw food restaurant. It was the most um, um, upscale raw food restaurant that had ever been opened at that point. So 
um, I had already, I had, you know, I had already gone a couple times and then, you know, cause I also like we, me, me and Jesse, this person was dating at the time, you know, we had the cookbook, like we were into learning about this thing. Cause we were, we were both kind of driven in these ways of like, let's see how healthy we could be. Like we're, it's, it was, yeah. Um, so, or how good can we feel? Blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> um, did it work? Uh, for time, sure, yeah. I mean, I I feel great. I feel great now. Like life is life is life is good. But and I'm I'm glad. I honestly, I uh, there's a reason that that's not a fad anymore because it's um I and everybody I ever like kind of was interested in following at the time. You know, some of them aren't even vegan anymore because there was like, well, that was too extreme, and you know, your brain gets a little crazy about food I think when you think about it too much yeah um so anyway at the time we were into this thing and I literally you know it's so funny to think about how much I'm on my phone and my computer these days as a as a as a human as a musician as an entrepreneur like I have to be on all these you know I just need to be making sure I'm up to date on my email and you know social media blah 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 but in 2008, like I had my first like laptop ever. <laughs> and for the first time I was like kind of following some of these raw food blogs and I was following Sarma because I admired her food. And I saw that she posted on Twitter like, hey, we're looking, I'm looking for an assistant. And for the first time ever, I sent a message to somebody on the internet and was like, hey, I, I'm thinking of coming to New York for the summer and I'd love to be your assistant. And you know, the shocking thing is like the next day she got back to me and said, hey, we I already found we already found somebody, but we're always hiring at the restaurant. So if you come to New York, here's here's this gals. Here's the the head of the dessert department's um, email and give her a ring and come in for an interview. So I kind of took that as a sign of like, wow, this kind of idea I had like half halfway. <laughs> I'm I'm taking it as a sign. So. Cut to like a couple months later, I was in New York, went on an interview, got this job, um, which, you know, I'd already been into making all the things from her cookbook and whatever. But what did, what did you get hired as? Just her I was, assistant? I, I didn't get hired as her, her assistant. I got hired at the restaurant. I was high, I was working at Pure Food and Wine. Which what, is was, the what was your role? I was making, I was head of daily dessert production. So every day I went in. And checked in to see what was ready to, you know, in the in the on the dessert menu, all the elements that are a part of five of the different dishes, you know, in that world, a lot of the elements took like one or two days to prepare, like these candied almonds that took two days to like dehydrate and all this like crazy shit, you know, yeah, to make, you know, I had to make sure, okay, we need to have like 50 of them ready for service and we only have 20. Okay, I need to like... You Where know. are my candied almonds? Yeah. Like I would have to prepare all the elements to make sure that there was enough for for service for the day. And that also all the elements were in process to like make sure that in consecutive days, like enough things, all the things would be ready. Or, you know, and I would be like making like pints and pints of ice cream and like big sheet cakes of this like chocolate almond butter, you know, pieces and Malamar things and chocolate and truffles and did it feel <laughs> exclusive or could you tell it was oh, a yeah. thing when oh, you were yes. doing it? Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, so it's right between a Mar Mario Batali restaurant and then across the street is Gramercy Tavern, which is another very well known 
restaurant and um, Gramercy Park, which is like the most exclusive little tiny like park in New York. And, you know, the restaurant at that time was only open for dinner. There was a beautiful back patio and then there was a juice bar that was open all day long. And then they were also doing internet, you know, they were selling products on internet. They were selling their their crackers and their cookies on the internet. Sounds so old school on the internet. But I mean, I, I it, like, it, you know, every night there would be like, the Olsen twins are at the bar or like Gwyneth Paltrow is in the juice bar. Like Gwyneth uh, or, well, you know, also, or Giselle had a house account and like. It wasn't like Alec Baldwin involved somehow. He was well, hitting on her okay, or something. Well, so, you know, when I tell people about the story, like that never, that didn't happen until you know, 2013, 14, I left in 2010. So I, while I saw Sarma every day that I worked, cause she was always there working, all of that stuff happened years after I left, okay. you know, cause I realized, <laughs> I, I realized this is not what I want to be doing. Like, like working in a kitchen and, and, um, being in a kitchen from like noon to 10 PM, four days a week. No, thank you. Like no. I want to be out living life and um, during the day. And um, yeah, there was just some reasons that, you know, I was like, this, this is not, this isn't what I, yeah. You know, after, well, after a year and a half of, of being there, you know, I kind of realized that. And then I went and lived with my parents for a year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems like she was doing all right. It kind of, mm -hmm. I think it was the dude that kind of oh, yeah, fucking absolutely. blew the whole thing. Absolutely. No, I mean, that's, it's crazy. And I, you know, I look at that and I think of, of people of manip it's manipulation and mind control and it's, it's some crazy abuse and, um, you know, stuff I, I can't imagine kind of falling for because at the same time, she's a very smart woman. Yeah. And towards the end of that documentary, she says some stuff where you're like, how did you, what? You didn't know that? Like, there's no way but you know I, the crazy things happen when you i i, I yeah I, I i don't know all of that happened <laughs> you were not involved after, with that yeah much after my time but i i i did i did see her every day that i worked for you know a year and a half well what was it yeah. like living in new york city did you like it um i liked it i yeah i i lived in jersey city <laughs> which is just across, you know, the water. I, I had an amazing friend that was there who is a full-time musician and, you know, was always gone and on tour. And she was like, you know, you can stay in my place. And I mean, for you can live here for free. So, I mean, that's the reason a lot of all of this stuff could happen. That's cool. You know, it was, it was, it was great. Yeah. You know, I was, I was just trying, I was just exploring these things that I wanted to do. Did you, were you, playing shows i would no i wasn't doing any music so you know when i left portland when i when i started going to the art institute you know i kind of stopped doing music period you know mm. there's a whole from about i would say 20 21 to 25 26 i didn't do any music at all i didn't play i didn't sing i didn't i hadn't even written a song you know as as myself at that point why um, hmm. Because you didn't have an instrument or just you needed a break or what? I, I think I needed a break. And I, again, it's like the, all those things of like, I didn't know where music fit in in my life in some ways, you know. I thought, you know, I had only grown up 
being steeped in like, oh, you're playing, you know, you're studying music and you're playing other people's music. But, you know, especially when you're in that classical realm, they're kind of like, oh, those song, you know, singer songwriter, well, like, <laughs> like, it's not valid. That's not, you know, evolved. Everybody can do that. I, I, yeah. I mean, sadly, that's kind of how it felt, even though now I don't view, I don't see that at all. And I think a lot, everything's valid. And it's not like I only listen to like classical music. I mean, I was steeped in like, you know, like my older brother is like classic rock, like, you know, Led Zeppelin, like wants to be John Bonham, like, every, you know, Bad Company, Foreigner, like all that stuff I love, loved listening to. And he, you know, again, like he's like, we were listening to Weezer. I mean, I listened to a million other things that mm -hmm. weren't classical music. I just never thought to sit down and write a song and and think about who Megan is. And like, what does she sound like? So is that what happened when you left New York? So when I moved down to, I, I went to Virginia and I stayed with my parents for a year. And me and, and the, the guy had broken up when we, when that happened. Um, I was almost going to move to, of all things, oh, Cleveland, Ohio. Speaking of Ohio, <laughs> Um, I literally had sent all my stuff to Ohio. It was all there and um, all this stuff happened. But um, I went down to my parents live in Virginia now. And while I was there, so the year almost I was there almost a year. And I hadn't played my horn. I hadn't done anything in a long time. But when I was there, my my mom said to me, if you're going to be here, um, you know, she wasn't doing. No, she was. She was still doing a little bit of community theater because, yeah. Um, but she, you know, my parents go to church and my mom's the choir director, of course. And she was like, well, if you're going to be here, I'm, I'm, I need your voice because, you know, this is kind of a small town and, you know, there's not, you know, we, we need your voice. And, you know, um, you probably should get your horn out because, you know, for off, I, I'm going to need you to play the, the French horn sometimes in church. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, um, and, and. Towards towards even towards the end of that year, my mom was doing uh, d ended up doing a musical at the little community theater and was like, you know, I think there's a part for you, <laughs> you know. And I literally like did all these things I hadn't done since I was in high school. I hadn't been on stage and like you know was a character and all these things. And I was singing again and I brought my horn out and I you know it was just this realization of wow. This thing that I love to do and this thing that feels like me and this thing that feels like and this thing that I studied my whole life and I know how to do and this thing that all these people wish they could do. A lot of people wish they could sing. A lot of people wish they could play the piano. A lot of people wish they could play an instrument. I can do all these things because that whole year, all these people are like, wow, your voice is so beautiful. And, you know, just like, you know, it was this it was this incredible year of like this realization of. I really tried all the other things I was interested in. You know, I tried kind of exploring fashion in a certain way and that didn't feel right particularly that that way. Okay, I was interested in food and while I love to make, you know, delicious vegetarian meals, which is I'm still, you know, absolutely, you know, all for not eating animals. But, um, you know, I pursued this other aspect of you know, being in, being in, in food that didn't work out, but it was the year that kind of all these things in my life changed. And I was living with my parents and I started doing music again. Then I was like, oh, I think actually I need to go back to music. Mm -hmm. And 
at the end of that year, I kind of had this thing of like, am I going to go back to New York or am I going to go back to Portland? And I ended up going back to Portland. And that was 2010. So in 2010, I moved back to Portland. And I kind of took a little bit of I, – I, I, I had started being like, oh, oh my gosh, I, I need to start playing the piano again, right? And I, w- I took a few classes at Portland State. And I remember I had this amazing teacher who a decade before I can't even – I couldn't imagine somebody saying the things that she said to me where it was like at the beginning of class she was like, everybody write one page of what you think you need to do in your practice, as a musician, she had she had piano a lot of play, piano players, but also like musicians from whatever your instrument is, because she was teaching this technique. It's called Alexander technique. It's all about your spine and your body and how to you know you really need to think of your whole body as the instrument, no matter what instrument you're playing, because you know your hands don't stop here. Mm-hmm. Your your arm you know your hands are connected to your arm that go all the way back here, and it's kind of like studying your body and like learning you know, going away, getting away from a lot of really bad teaching techniques from the last <laughs> 50, 60 years that that were that that told a lot of people, oh, you need to be really rigid and don't ex- don't express yourself, you know, and all these all these things. And I remember writing this page of like, I think I need to get back to like, you know, practicing my exercises like an hour a day, all the things from when I was a kid. And she she wrote me back and she was like, you don't need to be doing an hour of of practices. You know, sh- play sure, play some scales, but if you play a scale, play it as musically as you possibly can. It shouldn't be this like drill. You know, she was more about like, you know, she's like if you if you mess if you if your finger slips and you play the wrong quote unquote wrong note, whatever is, you know, like you know, that happens. It's, you know, this idea of perfectionism and also like this rigidity and like all the things that I had grown up being taught in my own personal lessons as piano lessons as a kid when I was going back to Portland State to like to to study music again. And I was like, maybe I'll finish that music degree, which I never did. I took these few (laughs) classes and then, you know, I started doing, you know, working some random day jobs but you know a year later is when I was like I just want to give it I just want to put a piano on that street corner you know all those got me to that place that's when you had the idea (laughs) yes (laughs) it took us a while to get there I know oh my gosh which is awesome I didn't want to just start with it but okay we're there now so you decided you just had an idea someday you're like I'm gonna put a piano on the corner well you know I had (laughs) So I'd taken a few classes at Portland State when I got back, and then I was like, I don't think I really need to finish this music degree. But wow, has this person opened my eyes? And I didn't have my own piano at the time, and I was going – I was sneaking into the practice rooms at Portland State even when I wasn't a student anymore because I had figured out, oh, if you just walk into Lincoln Hall and you walk into these rooms, like a lot of the times the the practice rooms are just open, and I want to be able to play these instruments. Again, another another way that access is really hard if you're not a person that has a lot of money to – you move somewhere else as an adult and you want a piano and it costs so much money to move it just into your apartment, your room, whatever, get it tuned, all those things. So I, I had started to really play music. I had started to – a friend – 
a friend that I knew when I was in college, um, when I was dating, dating the boy, and a really old friend from high school was dating um, his first boyfriend. Um, when I moved back to town, really shortly, I ran into this this dear friend. His name is Peter Condra. And he was always doing like bands and stuff like that back in the day. And, you know, even when I was in college the first time around, you know, we were all kind of friends. Sometimes he'd be like, hey, you know, Jose, Jose, who I went to high school with, Jose always said, like, you had the most beautiful voice and you, you can really sing. Like, would you sing with me? You know, would you would you would you come in and like do a cover or something with with my band? And back in the day, you know, 2002, three, four, I'd always be like, no, it's like, no, not my thing. You know, it's like, again, my mind I'm was not. I'm making vegan food. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. And, and so I, I came back to town and I ran into Peter Condra and he was like, hey, do you, you know, I'm so glad you're back. Um, I still have a band. Like, would you want to, would you want, we're going to do this Donna Summer cover night. Would you come in and sing? And again, you know, it's like I had had this whole experience from like, I'm going to say yes to things. I'm going to be singing. I'm going to make music. And I don't know. I'm not going to. It's going to be different. Or it's, it's not. I'm not going to look for it to be how it was when I was growing up or something. So so I said yes to singing with Peter. And we played a couple shows. And, you know, from that, it was like. Some other friends, some other friends of his saw me and other people started to ask me to sing. And then eventually this other friend from high school was was came to me and was like, hey, it seems like you're singing again. And this person I work with at school at the school, you know, wants wants a singer in their band. You know, should I give him your number? And um, I said, yes, I, I said yes to that. And so I, I met up with these guys for a couple months and, you know, tried to write some lyrics to these songs they had. And, you know, I was so growing up, I was raised so, you know, like, you got to have a, you got to have a goal. You got to have like, you know, you know, things you're going to meet and, you know, a goal, an end thing that's going to happen. And after a couple months of like kind of singing with these guys in their garage, I was like, hey, we should we maybe maybe if we get a show, then we'll finish these songs that we can't seem to finish. <laughs> you know, so I go back to my friend Peter and I'm like, hey, you, you work at that bar that's playing that's having music now. Could we could we play a show there? And he's like, yeah, sure. What's your name? And I was like, oh, I'll, let me I'll find out, you know, and I made up a name and <laughs> I was like, we're, we're, we're Leo. That's what we're called. And, you know, he's like, okay, well, in two months, we have an open night, like, play this night. And a couple weeks go by, and you know, like a month from this show, we we're like doing all these practices. A month from this show, this band is like, you know what? One of the people in the band that was like leading it was like, you know what? I I thought I wanted to, to do the band thing again. I'm sorry, I don't. Like this and also teaching at school is too much. And so me... Not wanting to let anybody down, especially people I'd committed to. I was like, hey, you know, I was like, okay, that's fine. I am now Leo and I'm going to write four songs and I'm going to learn four covers and I'm going to be Leo now. And so that's kind of how I started truly being like, I'm, I'm writing some songs now. Like, so it was a good thing. So thanks to that guy for yeah, quitting. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, all of that is happening at the same time that I come out of a bar in downtown Portland one summer in 2011, in the spring of 2011, 
and I see a cellist on 13th and Burnside. And I I say to my friends, well, and we all stop and we listen to this beautiful player and he's got like a loop pedal and he's doing a whole thing in the midst of all this urban urbanness and like five, you know, cross sections of streets and stuff. And I I say to my friends, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could make this happen, you know, but I'm a piano player and that's, a real, it's, that's, that's harder to bring to a street corner. Yeah, for sure. And I think we all, even I, we're like, mm, that's a cute idea, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> we're like, oh, great. That's that's a nice thought. Um, but I couldn't, you know, months went by and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, I was still only, I was, I only had a bike at that time. And I was biking downtown a couple months later and I was, I realized, wow, there's a piano store just a couple blocks away. I wonder, I wonder if I, you know, could maybe like see what it would cost to like rent a piano. I don't know. Like I, you know, and I went in there and I started making friends and it was also the year, the kind of time period of flash mobs and like guerrilla market. I don't know. You know, this, this idea of like, we're popping up here and we're popping up there and mm -hmm. it's a surprise, you know, and I, I went in and I chatted to somebody who turned out to be, you know, an angel but you know, a, a magical person themselves. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I have this dream about giving a piano concert on that street corner. Just we can see it from your front door. What would it cost to rent a piano? Would you even let me put it outside? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all these all these extended things. And I, she just said, you know what? I actually like that idea. I'll, we'll mount a piano on a dolly. And when you want, you can go push it up the street. That's cool. So that's how we got our name. That's how we got Piano Push Play, you know. You made it up right there. Eventually, yeah, eventually. You know, yeah. this is this is like in March or April when I'm asking her to do this, uh, you know, and they're like, okay, well, let's, you know, maybe in July is when you should do it because it's probably, you know, it's still raining, whatever. And by the time we got around to July of that year, I had found a couple friends that like every, hey, like every Thursday, let's meet at this piano store at three and we'll like push it up, you know, two blocks, cross Burnside, just us rambling this little dolly and this piano over to these bikes and we're going to take turns and we're playing for people. And and that's what we did. That's this, how you it said, started. You said 13th and Burnside. Is that by Pal's mm -hmm. bookstore? Yeah. It's just up a block though. It's like right across from Al's Den, the Crystal Hotel. It's like the zoo bomb bikes that are on okay. that pole. Yeah, yeah. That's our original location. That's where, you know, we started with just me and a couple friends, a couple of other music school dropouts, basically, <laughs> that were willing to go anywhere and at the drop of a hat, you know, play a song. And, you know, because that spring, when they had agreed to letting me use this piano, I remember trying to recruit people from Portland State that I kind of still knew from from taking classes there. People that were at a level well beyond me that were truly I'm I'm getting a master's in piano performance and I can play Rachmaninoff and you know like really technically incredible. And I remember asking a, several people, "Hey, there's there's gonna be a piano on the street corner in, in like a week. Would you come and play that thing I just heard you play in that practice room? That's amazing." And all these people from Portland State at the time were like, oh, I need like three more months to get this piece ready. Like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Like, yeah. nobody would do it in the first year. Nobody from from music school would do it. It was all these people that were like eh, kind of outside, that, totally outside that realm. And, you know, for four weeks, that's what we did every Thursday. And 
I got to know this piano store and I got to know that they it, they work kind of piano stores in general work kind of like an auto lot or something where you're upgrading. You're probably buying a little bit of a nicer piano than you already had. And are at least half the time people are. And part of the deal when you buy this new piano, this four thousand or this forty thousand dollar piano, is you're you're they're they're hauling away your old one. Mm. And so this piano store in their attic had tons of these old uprights that once a year they did like a fire sale and they sold these pianos off for like 75 bucks, you know, and it wasn't even worth it for them to put on their showroom floor. And I, I learned this. And at the same time, you know, I was coming across all these things that make so much sense. And it also feels like, wow, that how, of course they came into my path. But I remember finding this New York times article that was talking about how many thousands of piano are thrown away every year in the dump. You know, and at the same time, somebody sent me, hey, there's a video of it's kind of like what you're doing, but it's in New York and people leave the pianos and they're painted. You know, so I'm I've never taken ownership over like I've totally created the idea of public painted pianos. I just think I'm doing it the best. (laughs) You had the thought independently. Maybe it's something you discovered later. But yeah, you know, but so somebody kind of sent me this thing and I all these elements converged. So I was like, hey, Portland Piano Co., I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I don't want to wait for this project to come to Portland. If I if I find people who are going to paint these pianos, how I'm going to move them, how I'm going to pay, pay for that, could I have five of these uprights next summer? And they said yes. So that's – so the next year is kind of where, you know, I cold called the art museum. I found on their website the director of operations – and I think I called him and left a message. And, you know, within an hour, he had emailed me. I love this idea. If you want to bring a piano to our courtyard, we'd love it. We'd love it. And that was 2012? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the first year? Mm-hmm. And that was when I met you? I think it must have been. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that new. It seemed established. When I brought it there the first year? Yeah, I was there in 2012. I mean... From the first year, we always had an amazing – when it was – okay, it was painted red. Who did it that year? I don't know. You know, within a – the very first year, it was just me and friends that were painting them or just stenciling, please play me, right? And by the end of that summer, Rob was like, you know what? I think next year, why don't we make it a friendly design competition and we'll invite all these people on this list of 100 – marketing firms, advertising agencies, artists, designers that we've worked with for various things to see if, you know, if we gave you a piano, what would you do? And, you know, we'll just, we're going to have a celebration and then they're going to be a part of this public installment. So within a year of having multiple pianos out and again, you know, very simply designed, painted by me or my housemates, my friends, you know, um, Within a year of coming to the art museum already, the next summer we had people like Jennifer Mark, you know, and uh, just incredible people that were on this list of friends to the art museum that said immediately, oh, I'd love to paint a piano and do something amazing to it, Hmm. you know? So the first one was on 13th and Burnside, and that was the Mm -hmm. only one for the summer of 2011. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then summer 2012 is when you started working with the art museum. How many were there that summer? I think just five. Five? So for the first- And all of them were at 
in the courtyard there in between the buildings, right? We didn't do that kickoff until I think, you know, by year three is when we said, oh, let's because we went I went from like, you know, one one piano, one street corner. And then I think it was four the next year. And we had it at like the Rose Festival Foundation patio on on the waterfront and one at um, Saturday Market, one in Pioneer Courthouse Square in a little amphitheater and then one at the Art Museum Courtyard. Mm-hmm. And so starting to work with Rob is when he said, why don't next year we kind of invite a few more people to really design and, and create these art on these pianos? Um, and I think we just had them paint them and then they, we put them out. But it wasn't until I think it was 2014 is, is when we had – we went from – Four to five to ten. Like okay. that was the free. Yeah. Maybe, and we, maybe and that's we had, when I met you then. Yeah. Yeah. And we said, Oh, well, let's have this kickoff. And, you know, I even like commissioned somebody to write a piece for five pianos and we had that performed and, you know, learned all these things about like, oh, what's what's actually gonna make this concert really easy? You know, maybe we just play one at the concert and then I think the first kickoff we were like, let's have a different performer play a different piano. You know what? You know, have all ten of them played, and it was, you know, yeah, let's mic ten pianos and mic. It was just a lot. So obviously they're painted differently, but they're different models too. So yeah. they have different sounds, and you have no control totally. over that. You just take whatever somebody gives you, right? To- at at the time, yes, I was kind of like relying on, you know, for the first probably three or four years, most of all the pianos I was getting donated were coming from Portland Piano Co. And now, now 10 years later, I am fielding several offers of pianos every day from the public, you know, throughout every time of the year. Mm -hmm. Because also all these other piano organizations in town that do do kind of similar, like a lot of, there's three or four different nonprofits in town that find good pianos to give to students that can't afford their own. And so they also field a lot of donations and they also have very high standards for what they want to give to a student. They want to give like a brand new, almost like Yamaha to kids learning to play piano, blah, blah, blah. And um, a lot of folks trying to donate pianos, that's not what they're donating. Like they're donating, a lot of them are donating perfectly fine working, lovely instruments. Maybe they're not pitch perfect. They're in tune to themselves, so they're not crazy wonky, but they're not like they haven't, you know, they haven't been absolutely kept kept care of. Well, yeah, that's the thing about an upright is almost everybody has one that they don't want anymore. (laughs) Like I lived with this guy 10 or 15 years ago, and Mm -hmm. he would just get on Craigslist and find them and go pick up. We had three uprights in our garage and two Mm. organs. And I'm like, dude, we're going to have to fucking get rid of those at some point. Like when we move out. What was he going to do with them? He just, I mean, we were experimenting and doing a bunch of stuff. So Mm -hmm. it was cool at the time. But then when we moved out, we had to find somewhere to take all these pianos. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's. There's there's a lot of people getting rid of some really just totally fine, lovely, but, you know, older model uprights. And then there's a lot of people that are like, well, oh, I've had a piano for 30 years in my garage and I keep holding on to it because it's the cinema thing, but I've never even played in my life. You know, mm-hmm. it was my grandmother's or something. But And a lot of the times it's like, you know, I wish I could save them all, but I can't. You know, I can save well, also 10 you, a year. You don't really want super expensive, nice ones because they're going outside in the weather. 
Yeah, I mean, those are not what's on offer to me. Yeah. Though you know, it's 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 a very common like, oh, here's this old, here's this lovely upright yeah. that has been in my family, and we're either moving or my kid went to college or my kids don't want to play anymore or, you know, but it's not. There's yeah, it's not a. Steinway nine foot baby grand, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like and and also, I mean, you know, people realize pretty swiftly when they actually look it up like, oh, this this instrument that means a lot to me is not even worth the technically on the market, like what like what it costs to move it. Yeah. If I had to pay to move it. You can't lift them by yourself. No, they're no. so heavy. No, not at all. Yeah, it's crazy. OK, so. So take me through or take everybody through the progression of it. So each year you're just doing this every summer. You're getting more people to donate. You're deciding to have different corporations, nonprofits or whatever, design them, paint them, and then figure out where they're going to go. Yeah. You know, and it was a journey of finding all these lessons of don't let one person's no stop you from, you know, pursuing someday like getting getting to where you want to go and uh, and maybe asking somebody else can I bring a piano to your courtyard to your sp space whatever like I remember that we all I always wanted to get into Parks and Rec and I definitely called them in the first year or two and both people I reached were like you know you put a piano in a Portland park and it's going to be a bathroom, you know, by the next day. And, um, I remember, but you know, I, I just was like, oh, but it's, I, I could still see it. You know, I, I believe that that wouldn't happen. And, you know, continuing to tell people that's a place I was hoping to one day bring pianos to, especially when I talked to Rob was that, you know, he was like, actually, I think I know the right person for you to talk to who would take a chance on this idea that works at Park and that's probably like a little bit further up than all the little underlings you were finding ways to contact. Yeah. And eventually I I found somebody who would take a chance on us bringing pianos to some beautiful places. And did anything go wrong? Not really. And and so they were like, okay, we'll bring one back, you know, bring them back, the, you know, the next year. And now we've been in parks for the last seven years. So, well, yeah. How often do you have one that just gets destroyed? It's it's happened like maybe, you know, it's not even a, a matter of like it tr truly gets destroyed in one night. It's it's maybe one little thing stops working, and and then you know, sadly, it's like it's like kind of that theory of. Um, when there's a cracked window in a neighborhood, it's like, you better fix it or within the next day, it's going to all be blown out because kind of people are like, you know, like, fuck it. Like, yeah. oh, there's something wrong with it. Well, I'm just going to, you know, like destroy yeah. it. And that's only, I mean, that's only happened t two or three times in the last decade. That's pretty good. I mean, especially for the amount of like thousands of people that interact with these pianos and treat them completely with respect and take care of them and all that stuff to have a few moments of, you know, destruction. It's like, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's life. <laughs> it's such a cool it's pretty, idea. Pretty good at odds, you know? It's such a cool idea because yeah. anybody can I play a so. piano. Not anybody can play it well, but anybody can play a piano. They yeah. can walk by and start doing something. Everybody knows chopsticks or let it be or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Or Beethoven. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And if you just have that chilling on a corner somewhere, somebody can come up and start playing it. Do you ever put cameras on them or do people just shoot video and then? No, we haven't put cameras on them. I mean, I think that was an idea once where we're like, we're going to put cameras inside the piano and like have it, you know, being broadcast at all times. And maybe we should we should do that in the future. I think at the time we, some somebody was like, but there's a privacy issue. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. although it's, you know, I, I find it hard the kind of the folks that are interacting with these instruments aren't the most, you know, they're not like litigious. They're not, you know, they're, (laughs) they're having a moment. They're having a moment with this instrument. They're like, hopefully having a moment, you know, in their life and, and, um, hopefully meeting, you know, I, I also view what's the most satisfying thing to me about doing this. One of them, there's many, but I love, seeing people interact that would never interact except for the fact that there's a piano there and and somebody was playing it or somebody's about to or they're teaching each other something or they're viewing each other differently because you know somebody they thought would never be able to play a piano was sitting down and playing we're, we're, you know or you know um so do you ever just when they're out and about do you ever just drive around or walk around and go check them out I would and to- see, yeah, yeah all the time yeah, yeah. Mm. because i mean i'm uh, most of the time i'm still the person that's like i got to i got to get the photo for you know you're, you're the social doc- media manager as well <laughs> i to say sadly yeah uh i i have been for many years yeah but i i do have a lovely volunteer this year that's gonna like take take over i mean it's it's also it's that's the satisfying thing is is sitting across from one or like hiding in a corner and just like watching for a while and seeing what happens like that still is is the beautiful thing to me mm-hmm. just still like why I do this thing that is a lot of work. Um, But, you know, it's mine. You know, I thought of it. I run it. It's still mine. And I, I wouldn't be working on anything else (laughs) except for that. You know, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't rather be working for anybody else. You know, I want to be working for my idea. Yeah. No, it's very cool. It's very cool. And Mm -hmm. the, the company I work for, we just did TEDx Portland. And they had a blazer themed one. We made that. Yeah, it made me think of you. And then uh, I, I was. We made that. So how many are there this year? Well, that was a surprise. That was a gift to the Blazers from me and TEDx because me and TEDx partnered up this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had we brought all ten pianos. They were made early so they could go to the event. Unfortunately, it was raining, and so they were all under a tent. Outside, yeah, they were all intense. They weren't, they weren't as like spread out and open. And I was only inside, yeah. so I only saw the one that was inside. You're okay. saying there were nine others outside. There was that one's an extra one. There's actually there were ten outside, and then the Blazers piano that we made um, was just an extra one that we were giving to the Moda Center and nice. to the Rose Garden nice folks and all that good stuff. Well, then I was going through your website. Did you speak at TEDx? I did in 2019. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a little bit of a very short speech about how we started and why I do what I do. And then I, you know, I had, I sang a song of my own. I talked about um, how Piano Fish Play started and, and what it means to me. And then we, you know, we had this other piano. We, we did what we did at our kickoff, which is always, there's a set number of performers and then we always keep um, spaces for the audience to put their name in a hat and we kind of draw these surprises and that's another part of like 
remembering that there's always more people out there that are musicians and are musical than just the people that are determined to be on, you know, the concert, you know, line. Um, and, you know, so we had an audience member come up and perform an amazing piece of Ger Gershwin. We kind of had like this audition at lunch, you know, so it was kind of a little bit more um, fixed than our <laughs> concerts. But TEDx wanted it, you know, they wanted to be assured there was going to be like a true performer. And then the last segment of my performance was we had Portugal, the man had painted a piano for me in 2016. And then their keyboard player, Kyle, came up and performed a, a beautiful classical piece on the piano they had painted. So it was kind of just illustrating again that you never know where your life is going to go when you're a musician. You're, or, you, know, you know, you can you can still study and love classical music, but you could also be in this international incredible like rock band and love this instrument. And, you know, who knows? Yeah, it's kind of just it was illustrating all these different aspects of what piano push play means and is trying to illustrate in this life. What, what was that like for you? Was that nerve wracking? I mean, because you're used to performing, but is it different when you're speaking on stage in front of that many people? I I I was I I was able to draw on on decades of my life being on stage and 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 performing, but also speaking. You know, as an actor, I haven't done that in a long time, but you know, like speaking in front of people, um, especially when it's been written and you just memorized it and you just yeah. like that, that was, that was, that was okay. I, I could do that. I can do that for sure. Um, you know, I grew up kind of doing that. So you're kind of a performer. <laughs> I'm most definitely a performer, but, um, you know, I hope, I, I think, um, not that it's not authentic, various performers, but you know, it's it's different when you're like, I'm this isn't I'm not playing a character. This is me talking about my life in front of 3000 people, which which is, you know, it's a very specific. thing. <laughs> yeah, um, it wasn't 7000, which was all the people at the Moda Center this year. But... Yeah, I think it was eight this year. Uh, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. So what what what's going to happen? Um, when is it? Three weeks from now? It's July 1st, so yeah. July 1st. What's going to happen on July 1st? We are bringing all 10. Actually, it's going to be 11 because um, we're bringing, yeah, a piano back from a, cup, a, a past, a previous year. But um, we're bringing all these pianos to Pioneer Courthouse Square, July 1st, 7 p.m. It's the first time we're able to have this event in two years, two summers, you know, which gives us the opportunity to thank everybody and also really have a moment of like we we did this because you know so much of the program is like given to the public and if you're there and you're catching somebody playing or like a, a moment happening it's there and then it's gone which is fine you know i think ephemeral art is is good for everybody cuz then they <laughs> it always feels better when they're remembering it probably i hope but um it's just like a, it's this. I just miss it. I miss being able to bring everybody together to thank them, and and I've learned I'm going to be telling this story of how it started and what it means forever because just as many people that I you know if they ask me kind of like what I do or something in in the course of my day and my year, 
you know, and I'll be like, oh, do you, you know, have you ever seen a piano on the street? And a, and a lot of them are like, oh, yes, of course. I'm like, well, that's me. I put that's that there. Me. You know, it's this thing called piano push play and da 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 da. Just as many people are like, oh, I've never, seen, I've never seen one. You know, and I've been here forever. You know, I didn't just move here. You know, which is which is fine. It's you know, life is the city is big and people are living their lives and sometimes they're not looking up or sometimes they're just not in, you know, the, the places that where we have pianos and, you know, but they want to know. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, at the, at the kickoff is a really beautiful place to, to tell that origin story and, you know, say, this is how, this is why we're called what we are called. You know, if it make you know, now you can visualize it and, thank the artists and also just have these beautiful moments with people that love music and love the piano. Are you going to go to other cities? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have been um, approached by some friends that live in other cities and are kind of like curious to see, would I be okay with them starting it or me consulting or all these things? And Do you have it an just LSE? hasn't, Mm-mm. No? No. Should I? You should probably do that. <laughs> Not like trying to turn it into a profit venture, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> I will. I will, Cody. It's okay. You're looking at me like, ah, do it. <laughs> no, I just think it's so cool. And I think... Uh, I, I, I mean, do whatever you want with it, but I think it's so cool. And like, if you can turn it into a nationwide thing mm -hmm. or a worldwide thing in another 10 mm -hmm. years, that's mm -hmm. insane. Yeah. Because look at what you've done in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I, it would need to feel right. You know, in the first several years of doing this, there were a lot of people. I mean, it was, it was also a little, a slightly different era in Portland where it was, there was like a lot of tech folks and all these things. And I had some friends that, are in the investment world or all these different th things. And, you know, a few of them were like, you need to become, you know, the Angie's list of pianos and you need to like be this thing that's doing, you know, or, you know, all some people giving me advice of, okay, you need to figure out how you're going to go nationwide and this and that. And I, you know, I, to be honest, um, I wouldn't mind, you know, maybe having a few other cities that I helped coordinate um, mm -hmm. or, you know, um, we're in agreement about, you know, if, if you're going to use my model, all this, you know, that this is kind of, yeah, an off branch of Piano Push Play Portland to Piano Push Play Tucson or some mm -hmm. various other places. Um, but I, I also like, I like the scale it's at for me and for Portland and yeah. for my mind and my brain and all these things. Cause, cause also I think it's really important that I, this isn't, I'm just, I'm not just like a big nonprofit and that's, this is what I'm doing and I am trying to make it nationwide. Like, I think the reason it's so unique and so deep <laughs> is because I am a musician as well. Like, mm -hmm. I, I know what this, I know what it's, I know the power of what this means to, to people. I'm not just trying to. Make money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People can see that. They can tell that it's special to you mm -hmm. and it it translates differently than if you were just selling 
sneakers or something. Yeah. Or like, oh, that this is like, this is becoming really commercial and, you know, the pianos have more um, business names than, you know, just please play me on them, you know. Intel piano. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that that's really important. And, and I also, I just, I think it's good that I am also really deeply a musician myself and have the time to devote myself to my own things before, you know, half the year. And then the other half of the year, this is my job and this is what I'm doing. And so this, this is six months of your life preparing for it. Yeah. Yeah. I say that this, this is my job. This is my full-time job, six months a year. And the other half of the year is, is me being a musician and touring and writing for other, you know, visuals and, being artists in residence and recording and all that stuff. I mean, I'm still doing all that stuff even while I'm doing piano push play right now, right? I'm doing all these like, naked dinosaurs. I don't, but I um I I get to enjoy translating my music and who Megan Diana is and what the sound is into a like, oh, a visual story. You know, by how I go on stage and what, you know, what, what visuals look like for me and my music if I'm in, if I'm there, you know? So it's kind of like, I get to be a stylist. I'm a stylist for me and my band Mm -hmm. and, you know, get to take lots of photos and get over, you know, my hiccup of like not wanting to show my face and which, which I, I, for a long time, I was like, no, I don't want to have to, you know, be a, have a have my face be up there as the front person for the band or for piano push play for for my for my music for many years I was kind of like opposed it was just like also like this thing of like well men usually don't have to do it but if you're like a lady you gotta like show your face you gotta like you know sometimes you know people would you know would give me advice of like if you dressed a certain way like maybe you'd have more <laughs> listeners like you know some shit like that where it's Sarah like Sarah McLaughlin the- is really hot right now uh, she wears dresses maybe you should yeah yeah so you know but do you have a lot of industry people like telling you what you should be doing um not anymore <laughs> no um, but I, I mean, it wasn't even industry, industry people. Cause I, I, I don't think Portland has much of a actual true music industry Yeah. in terms of like real labels and publishing and, um, management and all and promoting and tour booking. Like you, you have to go elsewhere or you have to be working remotely with people that are on a different level than most folks in Portland. Mm-hmm. So what what would happen what would happen if you had to choose between writing, recording and touring or piano push play? Which one oh, do you God. think you would devote know. your your time to? I mean, to be honest, I'm going to be doing both as long as I possibly can. And for the last many years, you know, even before this, you know, pandemic hit, I was you know, I had the last time I held a job that wasn't piano push play that didn't, you know, support my life the the entire year through, that was five or six years ago. So I've been, you know, working from working from home, working from coffee shops, you know, on piano push play and on my music, you know, and and 
being my own um, tour booker and all this, you know, like for many years, even before this thing where a lot of people had to find out what is it like to not go into an office or not have somebody over their shoulder asking them, are they, are you doing the work that you're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Um, and I, th I think that was a really power, you know, I'm, I'm glad I had a lot of that experience before, um, you know, some people that just like really found out in the last couple of years, like <laughs> how much time gets wasted when you go into an office, you know, or, and, or how much, how much time you actually need in a day to get your work done. You know, I find it's like, you know, if I can have a couple solid hours to make sure everything's functioning for Piano Push Play and, you know, working on, you know, all the things I'm doing outside of that, I have all this other, <laughs> you know, that's, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. <laughs> what, what is it like for you trying to write a song? Do you... Do you sit down and try to write or do you just kind of let it happen? I mean, I think it's different every time. Sometimes there are songs where it's like, whoa, something's happened and I'm really pulled to write about something right now, like a very specific thing that just happened or, you know. And then other times, you know, it's just through, you know, I'm I'm sitting at, I'm you know, every day, especially in a season like now where, Every week I have a show or two with my band or solo or all these things. And, you know, I'm making sure that a couple times outside of those shows, I'm, you know, just running through the songs and making sure this muscle that's my voice, like, you know, is is there and working. And through being at the piano or the Wurlitzer or all, you know, the instruments that I have, you know, a couple, you know, I'll, I'll you know, I'll be rehearsing all the stuff I already know. But then... Oh, like, you know, some other little like riffle come to me and, you know, over time you have all these little things saved and, you you know, you're kind of like, oh, I want to write something to that little, um, that little chord structure, that chord progression or that, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll record something and, you know, lay a drum track on it and then, you know, go to my room and, and start vocalizing and through vocalizing words will come out and, you know, there'll be a fully formed sentence and then you're trying to like make that make sense. <laughs> sometimes it's a big jumble and it's a big puzzle. And then sometimes it's a very intentional, like, okay, like I got to write out this heartbreak or this like realization. And, um, you know, I am, yeah, it's every song is different. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, sometimes it's just like, you're trying to make, write a jam and you, you know, and then other times it's, um, yeah, it's a bit more intentional songwriting. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times it's um, – when it's good, you don't know what's happening. It just kind of happens. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah, I have – I definitely have some songs. I mean, when I did the show last night, there's, there's one song that is one of the first songs I wrote in that year of like, you know, 2011, 12, when I was really starting to write songs and really starting to play out for the first time. And those made it onto this little EP that I haven't <laughs> ever shared. And then, you know, five years later, I truly like kind of had really recorded and really arranged and, you know, they sound completely different than how I performed them 
back in the day on mm-hmm. a piano so sad and slow and then nowadays it's like they're on like a Wurlitzer and there's like funky you know and it's yeah it's still the song I wrote but it's just evolved as have I and as have as have my conception of how I want to produce my work and arrange it and what my sound is which I feel like over the last decade I'm like okay now I know what that is mm-hmm. and how I how I work and all that good stuff but yeah it's a constant battle it's a constant battle <laughs> or evolution or evolution either way whatever you want either way yeah. okay well I think that's a good spot I appreciate you coming down here and talking to me that was awesome thank you that was rambling <laughs> it was great <laughs> it was great <laughs>